Throughout this morning, we've heard the testimonies of those who are the eyewitnesses of the risen Christ and of, from one uh, who is a present witness to the power of the resurrection in our lives. As we move toward the end of our service, I want to take a moment as we uh, reflect again on the, on the resurrection uh, to briefly uh, remind us of its importance. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, I'm going to be reading from verse 38 through 40. Hear the word of our Lord. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly, belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The word of our God. It is easy to assume that it must have been much easier to believe if you were living in the days when Jesus was walking the earth. That thought's crossed my mind. It may have crossed your mind. After all, these were the people that were able to hear him teach. They were able to see the way he interacted with others. They were able to either have witnessed with their own eyes miracles that he performed or see the effects of those miracles with people who were the recipients. They, they saw the before picture and they saw the after picture with no other explanation than there must have been some incredible power of God that was at work to bring that uh, transformation. And so you would think, that it would be a whole lot easier if you were able to see with your own eyes and to hear with your own ears, it is much easier to believe. Again, one would think. But here in this particular passage, we have an account of those who had listened to Jesus teach and had seen either with their own eyes the, the miracles or the effects of the miracles that were not being denied by any of these religious leaders. And yet they were saying, Jesus, give us a sign that you are who you say you are. Now, in defense of the scribes and the Pharisees, which, you know, we give them a, a bad rap. Uh, they have their issues, but so do we. They have their issues, but they also have their good points. They were not in any way denying the miracles. They were not even denying that Jesus was in, in some way some sort of a prophet who had been sent by God, who was being used by God. And the miracles were the evidence of that. It's just that in that day, there were others who had performed miracles that were recognized as having come from God. It's not like everybody signed up for it and you saw miracles all the time. But there were others throughout history and even in the days leading up to this who had performed miracles and were recognized as being the prophets of God. And so that part was not in question. But what was in question was Jesus was who he said he is. That he was the long-promised Messiah. The one who had the ability and the authority to forgive sins. And so not denying that he was able to do miracles, they wanted some sort of sign from God to validate that 
Jesus is who he says he is. And so here they ask him, give us a sign. And Jesus responds rather tersely, directly, and bluntly to them. It is a wicked and an adulteress. In other words, it's just evil people who are covenant breakers, who are going to demand of God a sign for God to do what God has said that he was going to do from all along. And so no sign is going to be given to you, except for this one, the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish or, or the whale, it was so will the one who God sent be three days, three nights in the belly of the earth. It's interesting because in one sense, Jesus was saying no sign is going to be given to you, and that actually is true because they were wanting the sign like now. And Jesus is saying, I'm not giving you anything. Now, there will be a sign that will come later on. It's not the sign that you're looking for. It's not the sign that you're expecting, but it's not coming now. I'm not answering you the way that you want. God's going to do what God's going to do, and I'm going to do what the Father wants me to do. But there will be a sign, and you're going to recognize then, or many people are going to recognize at that point, that God has indeed sent me, and that I am God who has come in the flesh, and that I have come in order to save people from themselves and save people from their sin. And that sign is going to be that I'm going to die, and then I will rise again. This is the only sign that was given. This is the only sign that was necessary. You see, because Christianity sinks or swims on the sign of the resurrection. If Jesus was not raised, as Paul, the Apostle Paul says, then all of our hope, all of our faith, all of our religious practice is absolutely worthless. We might feel good for a time, but we are still dead in our sin, alienated from God, and without hope, unless somehow God would do something. Except that if Jesus was not sufficient, then there's not much reason to believe that God was going to do something. But as the Scripture says, but Jesus was indeed raised from the dead. And Christianity sinks or swims on the veracity of whether or not there was a man who uh, long ago um, died and then again rose from the grave. Even the French Enlightenment skeptic Voltaire seemed to understand this. According to legend or tradition, I'm not sure what the difference is between the two, and so I, I but, and I wasn't there, so I can't validate it. But having read it in more than one uh, one account, apparently there were a group of skeptics, people that were not pleased with the continued lingering uh, influence of Christianity in uh, in the French uh, Enlightenment. They went to Voltaire and and were talking about their their skepticism, discussing the weaknesses and the threat of Christianity with them. Voltaire himself, who was known as the, the prince of skeptics, he said, well, it should be easy enough for us to start a new religion, one that would rival Christianity. All we need is a volunteer to die and then rise again from the dead to be our founder. So even the skeptic Voltaire recognizes that Christianity sinks or swims, it rises and falls with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus has died and stayed dead, there is no hope. If Jesus, though, died and rose again, as tremendous testimony throughout history has indicated, then there is hope. In fact, there is more than hope. You see, the resurrection gives us more than hope. It gives us assurance. Because God was faithful to the promises that he'd made long ago and in many, many ways. Listen to the way that's written by one author. 
There is no historical doubt whatsoever that a man called Jesus lived and was crucified 2,000 years ago. It is also without dispute that a group arose uh, quickly after his death claiming he was risen. Despite the apparent absurdity of such a claim and vigorous attempts to persecute them, persecute them off the face of the earth, this group grew quicker than any other before or since. Soon the whole Roman Empire became Christian state without a sword being raised by the all-conquering new faith. This remarkable growth is impossible to explain without the resurrection. So the testimonies of the resurrection of Jesus Christ are validated through the testimonies of those who had hoped to believe and those who denied and then were convinced. And they joined and they became part of the faith. Because Jesus was raised, we have the assurance that God, who has, been, has made promises, is faithful to them. And if he's faithful to this and to the most amazing of them, that a man would die and then rise again three days later, then we have every reason, not only for, for just hope so, but to be assured that God is faithful to his promises. But it also gives us hope. Not only hope from the past, but hope for the future. In fact, in the Hebrew sense, Hope is faith focused forward. In other words, that it is something that we know that is going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. And listen to an African writer. His name is, I'm going to butcher it, but uh, Oywal Akande. I got the last name. I'm pretty close anyway. And here's what he says. All that we do is because of our hope for the future. Some of us go out daily to a job, which we hope will either provide income or help us build a career. Others go out to their own business where they hope to build a sustainable means of livelihood. We send our children to school because we hope that it will help them to have a brighter future. We invest in certain investment opportunities because we hope that they will bring some profit to us in our future. Our hope for tomorrow determines how we live for today. Now, what he's saying to us there is that there are certain things that are yet to come, but we're willing to invest ourselves in them because there's this expectation. That's what hope means. But because we have the hope in a God who has already promised, fulfilled, and assured, that expectation is a certainty because nothing is going to stop God from what he's going to do. So we are able to live our lives today with hope for the future because of the promise that is made in Jesus Christ and the assurance we have because he who lived died and rose again. And so the resurrection gives us assurance. The resurrection gives us hope for tomorrow, even as it does for today. The resurrection gives us a new identity. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul from Ephesians 2. You've heard them many times, but listen again to this incredible promise. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
In other words, all of these words are pointing together that though we deserve the wrath of God because we were enemies of God, God, because he had a love that we can't possibly understand nor fathom, nor can it be exhausted. He sent Jesus and then raised Jesus up and that those who belong to Jesus, those who believe in Jesus, were raised up with him. In other words, we have life, we have hope, we have a future, we have an identity as those who are children of God, those who belong to Jesus Christ, a new identity. We are the vessels through whom God is going to display the glories of his grace. Not just us, but all who believe and many who are yet to believe. But we have a new identity. We went from being alienated from God to children of God. We went from being dead in our sin to those made alive and risen with Christ. We now have a new identity and it's called Christian because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection gives us purpose. Again, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, 1 and 2 tells us this. If you then have been raised with Christ, which is true for all who believe. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so now we have a new purpose rather than to try to figure out what is the most self-actualized thing that I can think of for myself. It is to not think only on this plane, but to think of the things that are above to think of God and what will glorify God and to recognize because of the power of God that is work within all who believe, I'm now able to honor and to glorify God with any of the things that he calls me to do. We have a new purpose, which is to glorify God and to enjoy God with our lives, which is motivated by the fact that we now have a new identity as we are children of God, those who belong to God, which we do because we have the hope and the assurance because Christ has been risen from the dead. I hate to give the last word to others. I'm going to give it to a guy named Adrian Warnock who wrote a tremendous book on the resurrection. And, and just consider these words. Without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless tragedy. Without the resurrection, Jesus could not have been our savior. Without the resurrection, we are still dead in our sins. And we have no hope for our future. Without the resurrection, we could not know the same power that raised Christ from the dead living and at work within us. Without the resurrection, we could not know the joy of our salvation. As the Apostle Paul says that all is hopeless. If Christ is not risen from the dead, then we have no hope. But Christ has been risen from the dead. And because of that, we have everything. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this day, a day of celebration of resurrection, mindful that while there are days that commemorate uh, all of the things that you have done, it is not insignificant that you've given us 52 days each year to commemorate the resurrection. But even as the world recognizes this day in particular, let us rejoice in it. We come to you and pray, O oh Lord, that we would recognize in your wounds that we find our safety, that in your stripes we find our cure, in your pain that we find our peace, in the cross we find your victory. 
in the resurrection. We find our hope, our comfort, our all, for you have triumphed. Lord, grant us this perspective as we rejoice and celebrate not only this day, but you, the God who prophesied, who promised, who gave, who fulfilled it. Knowing that having given your own son, there's nothing that you will not give to redeem and to relate to those whom you love. Thankful we are to be among them. To you be all praying in your church throughout the world. Amen.